the fact that it ended doesn't mean that it was a failure. If you recognise that there were beautiful moments of it, there were joy or companionship or travel or children, and I do wonder whether that on the basis that some of us might live to 120, given modern medicine. I just wonder whether that you and I will be having a podcast when we're 100 and, um, and we'll be saying, well, was it a failure or was it a springboard to a better relationship next time round? So how can that be a failure? Well, that is the voice of Lucy Beresford, a psychotherapist, broadcaster and an award-winning writer. She has been referred to as the naughty Mary Poppins. Sounds intriguing. Welcome to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all live a better second half. I'm Liz Earle and I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Now, to be really honest, I don't have the best track record of keeping long-term relationships going. Divorced twice, both times after marriages spanning 17 years or so. And so I do feel that this is something of a personal as well as professional interest and one which will no doubt resonate with many of us here. You know, as I enter my own second half, I'm really keen to learn what I could have managed better, should I have left sooner, perhaps, or found more ways to salvage broken relationships and made things better somehow. Questions that I'm sure prey on the minds of many of us. Well, Lucy Beresford works with a wide range of psychotherapy clients on everything from betrayal and heartbreak to sex and communication in relationships. Sounds like she is exactly the woman I need in my life right now to give me some pointers about dating, maybe, after divorce. And I'm really interested to hear her take on whether infidelity is always a deal breaker too. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Lucy, such a pleasure to meet you. Now, you refer to yourself as being, quote, life curious. I love that mentality. What does that mean to you? And has your attitude and curiosity towards life changed over time? For me, being life curious is very much about remembering that you do only have one life. And it's very easy to get stuck in a bit of a rut or to stay in your comfort zone And to remember that sometimes the most exciting things that happen to you are those moments when you do perhaps have the courage to peek behind the curtain or to step into a new venture, a new relationship or a new country, to actually 
see what is out there. But I think also, I think it just speaks to the fact that I'm very nosy, which I think you have to be as a psychotherapist. (laughs) And I'm very nosy about other people's lives, about other people's behaviours and and choices. And I think that just makes me very hungry for, for new information and, and new experiences. And do you think this life curiosity is something that all of us could perhaps embrace a little bit more, maybe? I think if we bear in mind that this is the only life we've got, that could be enough to propel us maybe out of our comfort zone every once in a while to just explore what else is out there. I mean, it might just be and I was thinking very much around, you know, how the pandemic and the lockdowns kept us inside. But it also, I think for a lot of people, refined what their experience was and particularly what their social life was. And that now maybe is an opportunity to do something different, to try some new experiences or to start making some new friends, volunteering where perhaps you might have wanted to do something for money or, you know, traveling mm. instead of being at home. So that that sense of, yeah, we could all give it a go. But it was also quite brave, you know, and human beings are nothing if not nervous of change. You know, we, we, we get into ruts and grooves for a reason because it feels safer. So to actually do something that takes us out of that safety net is can be quite scary. Mm. I've heard actually it said that there is no more dangerous place to be than in your comfort zone. And presumably that's meant to indicate that we narrow ourselves and we limit our vision and our frame of reference, everything around us and the opportunities that are perhaps waiting out there if we are brave enough to maybe, you know, throw the cards up in the air and reshuffle them. Yes, because I think the alternative is a danger that things might become stale. And obviously, if something becomes stale, then the chances are that it might actually wither or actually even die that that sense that if we don't nurture our lives our relationships our well-being our very sense of self then something is going to get lost you know they often say that people when they're lying on their deathbed they, they don't regret the things they did they regret the things they didn't do so if you know that now that at least gives you the opportunity to make a conscious choice to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're not talking about just getting out of relationships or moving on. You know, there's a lot to do with creating the best of what we have and and improving what we have. And I know that a lot of what you do is about getting people to see themselves perhaps as active agents in their own life, you know, putting yourself back in the driving seat, if you like, rather than perhaps feeling more like a victim in, in painful situations. That's very true. I think there are some situations where we can convince ourselves that we have no choice, that actually, you know, the job we're in or the relationship we're in or even the life circumstance that we find ourselves in is somehow something that has happened to us. And if we lose sight of how much agency we might have or how much agency we need to rediscover, then you do run the risk of being a much more passive person within your own life Mm. and this is not to say I mean there are there are people who are in very very difficult maybe even damaging circumstances and it can be it can feel almost impossible to get out of those situations and certainly some of the work that I've done in India uh, where I've worked both clinically but also as a novelist there is a sense in which some people could feel very trapped and and not have very many options, but 
there is always the option to explore what your other options might be. Don't, don't ever close off the chance to do something differently just because in the immediate moment it doesn't look like you've got any options. Mm. At least start exploring them. I think that's really very wise that even if you end up not making any changes or any significant changes, actually looking at what your options are actually must be very empowering because you think to yourself, well, you know, I could do A, B, C, D or E. And then I'm going to choose this. And actually, you could choose to do nothing. I guess that would be a choice if it was a considered decision. Absolutely. Every choice, even if you choose to do nothing, is still a choice. But they also do say that a decision is never a decision unless you act on it. Right. And that, I think, is often quite key. You know, to have a decision that maybe your life depends on can feel unbelievably scary, that there are these really big choices between let's say staying or going and at that point because you're actually dealing with something that is known versus something that is unknown mm. then you're you're putting yourself in in an interesting position <laughs> because nobody can really help you with that nobody can really tell you what it will exactly be like on the other side you can just really start to drill down into your own values i think so that you know that when you do end up making a choice, even if it is a choice to do nothing or to stay with the status quo, let's say, because doing nothing implies inertia, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking more about staying with the status quo. If that is your decision, that's absolutely brilliant, as long as it does actually align with your values, I think. And if you ever believe that any of your true values are at risk by not making a decision let's say, a value that you might hold to be respected. If that isn't being respected within your relationship yes. or within your job or your family, that's the moment at which you probably have to make a decision rather than just sit back and hope that everyone else changes. That's so interesting. Do you know that has really landed with me personally on that level? Mm. Because In what sense? Well, having had two failed marriages and made the decision to come out of them, absolutely, you've just validated that, that there were things that were happening that my core values were not being respected and couldn't be respected. And therefore, you know, I, I guess anybody who's been through a marriage breakup or a long-term relationship breakup, there is a sense of failure and there is a sense of what could I have done? Well, I was, dead. I was just about to pick you up <laughs> okay. on your word, actually, because you had described you know, a couple of moments ago, you described them as two failed marriages. Yes. And I wondered why you used that word of failure, given that previously in the introduction, you described them as being of around 17 years each. Yes, is that right? That is right. So I'm not quite sure how it can constitute a failure if it lasted as long as it did. Is there a different word that you could use? Because that, that puts you in a very negative But they space. did fail. I'm no longer married. And therefore, that has to be a, a negative thing. I, I did not intend to get divorced. You know, I, I, I didn't go into marriage thinking, well, I'll give this 17 years and then I'll move on. You know, I, I made a life commitment. I genuinely meant it and it didn't work out. So how do I then switch that into being feeling in any way positive? Because the fact that it ended doesn't mean that it was a failure. The misnomer is happy ever after until we die. And to be fair, if you get married within the Church of England, it would be like, to death us do part. But I've often wondered whether that death is metaphorical rather than literal, and that actually some relationships are meant to come to an end so that other maybe 
just as beautiful relationships can then bloom. Interesting. That it isn't about seeing it as a failure unless you choose to see it as a failure. But if you if you recognize that there were beautiful moments of it, there were joy or companionship yes. or travel yes. or children mm. or yeah, all of those. Or healing. Mm. Because in a way you wouldn't ever say that about earlier relationships, pre-marriage, that they were failures. But that's because the the code is once you get married that it is for life. And I do wonder whether that on the basis that some of us might live to 120, given modern yes, medicine. Hopefully. <laughs> I just wonder whether that yeah. um, you and I will be having a podcast when we're 100 and um, and we'll be saying, well, was it a failure or was it yeah. a springboard to a better relationship next time round? So how can that be a failure? That is so interesting. I'd never thought about that, that when you make a vow, and I, and I did make you know Church of England vows till death us do part, I've always thought about it as being a physical death and not the death of the relationship. And clearly both relationships died. And Or death of the person you were in that yes, relationship. Yes, The person that you maybe needed to be in your 20s or 30s or 40s mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, maybe even in your 60s and 70s. But maybe you're not that person now. And therefore, True. what do you need? What nourishment do you need? And what nourishment do you deserve? Mm, wow. Gosh, so deep, so quickly. Uh, Tell me, moving away from me to the main issues that you hear most, actually, in your therapy room, particularly, I think I'm interested here from people who are in midlife in particular. Are there extra strains maybe on midlife relationships? We may be caring for older parents or just our life situation. Maybe we're entering retirement. We're spending more time together. I mean, that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. There are, I guess, as many elements that come into my consulting room as there are people but on the whole relationships are the cornerstone of of what everybody brings even if they come to see me for a different reason eventually we end up talking about the primary relationship that they're in because I guess they spend most of their time in that relationship and therefore if it's not working in whatever shape or form then that starts to become a bit of a burden but I think the overall theme is around communication with people either feeling not heard or not seen or invalidated in some way, but also realising that they can't really talk to their partner about it or if they do talk to them about it, that it isn't being received in the right way or they've stopped talking. And as you mentioned, you know, real life intervenes. You might be starting to look after elderly parents or dealing with uh, your children as they grow up reaching a very particular period of their life where they need your support. You may be going through the menopause. Uh, You may sail through it, which is fantastic. uh, Or you may not be sailing through it. Or your partner may be going through Mm. something um, of a health issue as well. So there are all sorts of things that do seem to crowd in on midlife, I think, that add to the and don't get me started on the whole pandemic and cost of living crisis, because obviously oh. that is increasing the amount of Isn't it? Our scrutiny and stress that yeah, that is sure. coming uh, to relationships. But I think really what the pandemic and the lockdowns did was they, they merely amplified many of the issues that I was seeing prior to that and, and post that, that it's about, am I am I seen in this relationship? Do I like who I am in this relationship any longer? What role do you think our expectations play in this, either our own personal, the way we've been brought up, or maybe society, expecting that marriages, relationships can actually last forever? Is that realistic as an expectation? 
Well, as I said just now, this notion that we might live to 120 does rather make it tricky to think that if I meet someone when I'm 22, that I am going to be years later, you know, a hundred wow. years. And what's yeah. that going to look like? And what kind of person am I going to be? Definitely the way in which fairy tales have presented the model of happy ever after has been unhelpful. I would recognize that. But at the same time, I think society has changed sufficiently that people now are saying, mm, that doesn't work for me. Being being with the same person for 70 years, I don't see that working. Staying together just for the children, that's no longer working for me. And you hear variations on that a lot, whether it's in terms of people having an affair or whether it's in terms of people getting divorced, separating. The idea that we can be a little bit selfish, perhaps. And I, I'm a big fan of trying to be a bit more selfish in life because I think it's too easy to put everybody else first and then wonder why we're so miserable. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think particularly for women, and that is the majority I know of our listeners here, particularly midlife women, and we do, by definition, very often have to put other people first. Of course, we're responsible for our children. We may have a job. We may have a partner. You know, there are a lot of people, perhaps in our community, our, our parents, etc. Yeah, but there is that whole... Um aeroplane safety video mentality which is that you have to put your oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help other people they say it very explicitly you know and they always feature it with a with a parent looking after a child that there is no way that you can be available to anybody in your life whether it's your employee or your child or your parent or your spouse if you are not looking after yourself you have to be selfish about this. Otherwise, everything else falls apart. Well, that is, yeah, that's quite categoric, which is very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and I suppose if we were working together therapeutically, obviously my focus is going to be you and I'm going to be championing you and cheerleading you. But I will, that's basically how I operate always. I just feel that it's too easy to just say, oh, well, everyone else deserves my love and support and energy, but I'm just, I'll get round to me later. Yes. It just doesn't work like yeah. that. I think if you've been together a long time with someone, it can be very hard to, to actually voice what your needs are and what you want, because it may have changed over the years, you know, sexually, emotionally, whatever it may be. I think maybe because you don't want it to come across as a criticism, maybe of how your partner has been acting for all these years. How how best to kind of have those conversations and bring these things up without it turning into a battlefield? There are definitely techniques in terms of having conversations with your loved one. And the most well known is the is the five minute rule, which is where you agree that you if you're going to be having a big conversation about something that you need to actually first of all, make time for it, but then make time for the other person. So you agree that you will speak for five minutes and they will just listen without interruption. There's no sense of, no, I didn't mean that. No, you got mm -hmm. that wrong. You just listen. And then after five minutes, they then reflect back to you what they've heard. And you have to also remain silent. And then you swap roles and they get to say what they want to say for five minutes and you listen and then you reflect it back. And it seems a bit stilted in the beginning, but it works wonders for training yourself to really listen to your partner yes. because they're 
their needs and wants and desires and resentments are just as valid as yours. Yes. <laughs> even though even though they're the most annoying person in the couple, they um, also have the right to think that you're the most annoying person in the couple. And if you can both be compassionate for each other in that way, then I think it's very important that you give them that respect, really. That is such a great technique. I actually tried that at a retreat not that long ago. We were with strangers and we were talking about something personal. And it was only for two minutes, actually. It felt like forever, but, you know, it was it was time to be two minutes. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to interrupt or comment with what the other person had said. And then, indeed, as you said, we repeated it back. So we had to listen very carefully because we knew that we were going to be asked to respond and and to reply with you know with what that person had told us and it was extraordinarily interesting how you do often want to butt in and <laughs> and, and as you say go oh but you know oh how awful or no I don't agree with that and I never said that <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know your defenses go up I, I can think you know I, I'm still very friendly and, and communicate a lot with my ex and you know we we share childcare and all of that and you know to be able to have a five minute I mean frankly a five second conversation without getting interrupted would be would be quite a challenge but I think that's definitely something I'm going to take away maybe we can build up to five minutes when maybe we'll take it a minute at a time yeah, exposure therapy is, is that what it is well yes I was borrowing from a different thing where you if you're helping someone with a phobia you expose them to spiders or snakes mm-hmm. and very gradually and you're doing a very similar thing okay yeah <laughs> softly softly little by little let's talk a little bit about divorce and you know I know that when I got divorced there were different reactions you know some people close to me you know possibly said why did it take you so long uh, others will have said oh my goodness I had no idea that's so terrible can't you work it out it's often seen as a very bad or at least a very sad thing. Do you think that we should also see it as a, as a really good thing? And that, you know, if, if somebody we know is getting divorced, you know, should we perhaps be congratulating them to your point that they've taken control of their own happiness for once, perhaps? Yes. I mean, I think every circumstance is different. And if you knew that the relationship was bad or abusive, then I think definitely it is about really championing that decision and supporting that person in in whatever way you can. I mean, almost as if the uh, partner had died, because I think one of the things that I've noticed from clients is that they are very frustrated if they're divorcing. People don't seem to take it nearly as seriously as if somehow they've been suddenly bereaved, whereas in fact they need your support perhaps arguably even more because the previous loved one is actually still around. But I think there is also a sense in which to examine, yeah, to examine how precious that experience had been and to not denigrate it, to, mm-hmm. you know, to not criticise the partner, to just acknowledge that, yeah, it's a, it's an ending, so it's going to be sad, but at the same time, it can be a beautiful rebirth yes. that actually a divorce could end up making four people very happy. <laughs> That's a very good way of looking at it. But you're right to talk about that almost as a sense of genuine loss and, and bereavement. And I was talking to a grief counsellor actually not long ago. And I think acknowledging for myself for the first time, possibly ever, that I am grieving. You know, I, I as I say, I didn't get married to get divorced. And there is a genuine grief 
and it isn't easy having because your nose is rubbed in it you know every time you see that person of the what might have been or what could have been if only and yeah it's I, I guess we need to treat it as we would any significant potentially detrimental change or loss certainly a loss I mean it, it might be beneficial loss but it is a loss nonetheless isn't it whichever way you look at it you have actually lost something that you presumably didn't set out to lose in the beginning. Yes, and I think it is a loss of perhaps the vision that you had for yourself going forward. It's not just the loss of the person, it's not even just the loss of the of being married, but the, the future that you envisage that you would have with that person. And I think divorce can also, and just, mar- you know, whether it's a marriage breakup or relationship breakup, can trigger all sorts of really quite unsettling emotions, you know, like fear, low self-esteem you might have a bit of an identity crisis lose yourself is, is that something that you experience quite a lot and and do we have to kind of refind ourselves before we can trust that somebody else will want to find us and value us definitely uh, it do you, you, it is very much around self-love very much around saying yeah i i'm worth this i'm worthy of love and to know that in your heart it wouldn't really matter if the right if nobody else came along that your life would be great without the other person in it that then in a way you need to get yourself to that place so that when the right person does come along that actually they they complement your life rather than completely fill it up and i think that's the that's the problem is that some people imagine that they will only be happy if they find someone in their life and therefore if they haven't found that someone then that they're not going to be happy. But uh, the key thing is being happy in your own life to know that you are enough. Mm. That's such a wise expression. And I can think of several friends actually who have confided in me and we've spoken quite frankly about our relationships. And they've admitted that they are only in their relationship because they are afraid of being alone and afraid of the change and I guess, facing themselves as singles for the first time in what might be decades. Yes, and and we can really understand that fear. We can understand the terror, perhaps, of what's it going to be like to go to an event on my own, to go on holiday for the first time on my own, to have to pay the council tax or get the car MOT'd. It's really incredible to recognise that, yeah, there are some very, very key events where you might think, okay, I wish I had someone with me, but do you really want that? Or do you, at what price would it be to have that that person by your side, that wingman? Mm. What price are you prepared to pay just so that you've got someone to go someone to, to that, annoy you <laughs> that dinner yeah maybe someone <laughs> to ruin your sleep as Stephen uh, Sondheim once wrote but really <laughs> but I think it, it then it becomes then it's now a personal choice because some people will make that trade sure. some people will say I would sooner be in an unhappy marriage knowing that at least I've got someone to go on holiday with seems quite mad actually when you put it like that doesn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
It uh, is mad. Well, do you know, I I got married. My my first marriage, I got married when I was 18. So there was a, a, obviously a huge amount of change during the, the first 17 years of, of married life. And then I only had a relatively short gap before getting married again. So I've had very little time actually fully on my own as a singleton. And I recently... And when you say that, can hmm. I just be clear, how long was that then? Uh, probably... 18 months maybe yeah if if that may be um and then when I met my second husband we were engaged within six weeks I mean it was it was really fast and I've never gone to events on my own for example and recently I had two theatre tickets and I'd kind of forgotten about them and didn't have a chance to invite anybody and I tried last minute and nobody was free to come and I thought well do you know what? I'm going to go on my own and I'd never done this before but I had a date with myself I went for a pre-theatre supper on my own I went to the theatre I had a drink in the bar on my own and I had the most fantastic evening I really enjoyed the play I got totally into it and I thought about it on the way back rather than kind of arguing with somebody in the car about whether the lead was any good or not and I had a really good experience and next time I'm going to book a ticket for one and when you go on your own then you have conversations with different people Mm. Uh, that's the really incredible thing you know, you're kind of out there to have a very different experience. Yes. So you're bound to meet a new person or, you know, you're not inward looking any longer, you're outward looking. And therefore, that's going to attract other people. That's going to attract other people into your life, whether whether you're looking for that or not. But that's just by Mm. definition what's going to happen. And uh, there's something very beautiful about that. Well, that is very encouraging. And I guess it brings me on to talking about dating after divorce. Uh, and I will declare a personal interest in this, um, kind of getting back out there. It, it It's quite terrifying. I think the dating landscape has obviously significantly changed since the last time that I was single. What advice can you give me and others? Where do we start as we're recording this here in 2022? What do we do? Well, the brilliant thing is that there are now more options than there used to be in the sense that, you know, you can go on to dating apps now. That's terrifying. Which which is absolutely, well, dating in general is terrifying. Let's let's be clear. Okay. So let's not try and demonise dating apps because I think the whole thing can be a little bit nerve wracking. But the amazing thing is it does give you choice. And with choice comes less pressure. So instead of having a date a month or a date every six months, in which case it had better go really well, uh, you could have, if you were so inclined, you could have a date every evening. You could have a date for coffee every afternoon. You could mm. you could see 14 different people in a week. And as soon as you do that, woof, you take the pressure off. It's more fun, can be a bit exhausting, um, <laughs> but, it, but it means that, yeah. yeah, you take that pressure of that person being perfect and of you feeling like you need to be perfect. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest gift that online dating gives us and obviously don't eliminate old-fashioned forms of of, uh, dating as well you know tell all your friends that you are up for any party any dinner any any social thing that they want to do if they want to go to a movie or whatever Mm -hmm. go with a friend and you know see who you bump into but the key thing is just to treat it as a bit of fun to not You know, not everyone is going to get engaged within six weeks. But if your mm. if your ex has moved on really quickly and is engaged within six weeks, 
don't put yourself under pressure to try to emulate that. They're rushing into something because they, they're terrified of being on their own. Well, that's no basis for a healthy relationship. It might be a long-term relationship, but it won't be healthy and it won't be happy. So take your time, give yourself a chance to take the time. But I guess we ought to just have a little bit about online dating kind of protocol, which is Please. definitely don't overshare don't overshare information. Certainly don't give your bank details out to somebody no. until you've been uh, kind of okay. seeing them for maybe six or seven dates. But you'd be surprised how often that happens. There are a lot. I, let's be clear. I don't want to scare people, but there are quite a lot of scammers that are operating on dating websites and they are literally just preying on people who are very vulnerable. So do keep mm. your wits about you. Mm. Um, yeah, don't overshare. Uh, and also, if you are a bit nervous about the safety and security, just tell someone that you're going out for dinner or just tell someone that you're going out for, for coffee. Yes. Just let someone else know that you're going out with a total stranger. Could they kind of check in with you after about two hours or something? You know, treat yourself as you would your teenage daughter. You, you want to look after your teenage daughter. Right. So make sure that you're safe as well. Brilliant, brilliant advice. Thank you. And I guess, although it might seem scary, stroke terrifying, on the flip side of that, there is potential to have a real sense of freedom and the kind of exciting new confidence, perhaps, as long as, to your point, we have a really clear idea of what we're looking for, you know, our boundaries, our non-negotiables, what it is that we would like in a in a relationship, presumably having learnt from past experiences that, that make us feel empowered to meet new people with that knowledge. Yes, and that, of course, is why it's really important to take your time yeah. and to have that breathing space between relationships because there is a danger that you really just won't know yourself well enough and you will end up with the same kind of person. Mm -hmm. You will, you know, they may seem very dazzlingly different on the outside. They may drive fast cars, whereas your previous partner was a bit more cautious. You know, they may uh, speak loads of languages where your partner was very unadventurous. But psychologically, they'll be exactly the same. And you will bump up against the same psychological obstacles that you encountered in your previous relationships. You just will. So give yourself that gift as well to, as you say, to grow and to be spontaneous. And also, yes, do set those boundaries, but also be open to different things. You know, have you ever thought of dating someone who's teetotal? Have you ever thought of dating someone who's Spanish? Have you ever thought of dating someone who's shorter than you thought they ought to be? You know, just allow yourself the freedom to make some discoveries about what you thought your values and your checklist was compared to what actually you would really like. You are absolutely spot on, particularly I think about patterns of behaviour with previous people who might appear outwardly to be very different, but actually are very similar uh, on the inside and perhaps led to the downfall of, of those relationships. Well, we're going to take a quick break now. I think that's a very good moment and a very positive one to end on. But when we come back, Lucy, I really want to hear your thoughts about infidelity. So don't go away. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, welcome back. Infidelity then. Why are people unfaithful? Is it to do with how they feel about their partner or is it more to do with how they feel about themselves? Lucy, what's the answer? (laughs) Uh, That's such a good question. I like to think that it rather depends on the individual and that for some people it will be about, yes, the fact that they have found their current situation very uh, frustrating or constricting or unsatisfying. But it might also be about who they are as an individual, the fact that they they need something that they're not getting from their primary relationship. And they find that in a in an affair, they have rediscovered something about themselves that they're really they're really keen to either capture or re-experience. Because everybody assumes that affairs are just about sex. And um mm. and they might be, but they're very rarely just about sex. They're usually about something very powerful in terms of who I think I am in my primary relationship and who I would like to be. And that's often what the affair does. It allows us to be this slightly different person. And I think that the classic example of that is the affair that starts through the workplace, where you're kind of henpecked at home, possibly, or ignored or mistreated in whatever way. But in the workplace, you're seen as this goddess or this god uh, who's you know great at work, really efficient, everyone loves you. You're just a different person in the mm. workplace. And as a result, different opportunities come your way and you lean into them. That's often what's happening, I think. That's so interesting because I think so often we assume that an affair is just about a sexual attraction and that's it. And it may be that 
you know, the sexual attraction has faded with a long term partner or there are lots of other pressures that, you know, children and paying bills and all this mundane stuff. But do you think that in your work, have you had experience of affairs that are really much so much more than that? You know, this emotional intimacy, maybe even other factors like escaping from reality or or revenge even. I mean, do do people kind of go off with other people because they want to get back at their partners somehow? Oh, hugely. I mean, if you've got a Greek play about women refusing their men's sex in order to stop them having war, you can see for quite how long human beings have been acting out a lot of their emotions in the form of intimacy and sex. Uh, And that actually, sometimes people do think I, I... I I recall working with someone who had been so shocked to discover some other things that had been going on in the marriage that without realising it, they then sort of opened themselves up to an affair within that 12 month period. And if you had if you had drawn a line and said, well, you know, causes and and consequences they they probably wouldn't have really seen it like that. But somewhere in their unconscious was a fury and a disappointment so great that actually what they needed to do was to try to to work that out so that they could end up feeling Mm. that they were making some choices and that they were being valued and they were being listened to. So are you saying then that once an affair is known, that it's really important for both parties to understand the motivation behind the infidelity, not the actual infidelity itself, but the why? Yeah, so I did a TED Talk, which is basically called infidelity to stay or to go. And it is asking that question of whether once you discover a betrayal, is there ever any hope for the relationship to survive? And my contention is that it is a couple that creates the couple. So even if your partner is, let's say, 99% responsible for the emotional trauma that you are now currently wading through because they are the one that has had the affair that does still leave one percent for you to look at and own about how you showed up in that relationship which is not to condone the affair this is not about saying that affairs are right or wrong because actually I, I genuinely don't think you can ever say that but I do think it is important to say well what was going on at home? In what way had communication died or the sex life withered or you know things had got out of alignment? That It is important for a couple to work out how they can affair-proof their relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So I guess what you're saying is that if your other half comes back one day and confesses to an affair and says it's all finished and it's all behind me and I'm sorry and you know let's move on, rather than saying either a I forgive you let's carry on or b you know get out um if you are going to stay together to say okay we need to understand the motivation we need to understand why before we then move on yes how did we get to here you know have Mm. I been ignoring you have you been ignoring me have we had too many Mm -hmm. children have we had too much stress about paying the mortgage why why did your parents come and live with us for so long all those sorts of Mm. things Um, Why are you glued to your mobile phone? All of that, all of the things that build up the resentments within a relationship are really important to talk about. And I always feel that couples would do well. um, And I personally love doing this myself as a sort of annual audit 
normally on the sort of Christmas break forward slash New Year's kind of time where you do sort of think, okay, well, where are we at and what's happening going forward and are we happy? Because I think the other thing to say is you can't always just assume that your partner is happy even if you're not, it's, you know, they may be equally as miserable as you are. Um, right. So you both need to have an opportunity to to talk about it and just have that sense of, yeah, what, what are we doing with our lives? Also, can I just say, I think it's also important for couples to have some form of conversation at some point about what actually constitutes infidelity. Uh, because, right. um, yeah, I think we could all accept that a two-year affair is being unfaithful. Um, yes. But what about a drunken snog or or even perhaps, you know, full penetrative sex after the Christmas party, for example? You know, does is that a betrayal? Does that justify ending the relationship? Or what about what we call nowadays micro-cheating, which is where you... Micro-cheating? Yeah, so um, some couples <laughs> would be very relaxed about the fact that their partner was still liking their ex's posts on social media, for example. Mm. So I had a situation of that recently where the new partner obviously just didn't like it and just said, you just can't do that. Why are you still focusing on that person's, uh, you know, LinkedIn page when um, we're supposed to be together? But there would be other people for whom that would be not a problem at all. And you you mentioned earlier that you and your one of your exes, you have child, you share mm-hmm. childcare duties. Mm. So, you know, there may be times where you actually go on holiday. With we your have ex done that without your partner. We, we, well, well, yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't have another partner, but yes, I mean, I, I do still have uh, a few days of crossover holidays I did this summer and I did recently at half term and it was tricky and I guess it would be interesting in the future you know if and when I do have another relationship you know how that would be seen and whether that would almost kind of be allowed that's right and some people would be much more relaxed about it I think if you're insecure you are going to find some of this stuff very difficult I mean that that LinkedIn example I gave you spoke to me more about the new partner's insecurities than it did about anything else. Whereas I think the idea that you start a relationship with someone who's got children from another relationship, they are going to probably need some overlap. There's going to be a bit of a Venn diagram of 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 connection with with the ex. How comfortable are you as the new partner with that? Because you're kind of going into it with your eyes open. It's Well, hopefully, Mm -hmm. hopefully. On uh, at some very early date, they would have said, "By the way, I've got children and I've got an ex who's in the picture." Um, but yeah, you you may be lucky and you may find someone who's very happy with that, or you may find someone who isn't, and that's fine too. That you know, people haven't been put on this planet to necessarily co-parent your children with someone else. They might just not want that. Mm. So everything is up for grabs, but more importantly, everything is up for communication. Communication, I mean, it all comes back to that. And I love the idea of having these almost kind of annual reviews within your relationship. And when you think about it, you know, we have annual reviews at work. I know that I sit down with each of my team at least once a year, you know, maybe more often to to have a look at how they're feeling, check in, what's going on. You know, are they happy with what they're doing? Are they all their needs being met, etc.? How do they want to grow and develop? And I will do similarly with my children. You know, they get reports from school and that's always a good time to assess and say, well, how's it going? What do you think about this? How are you getting on? How are you coping? 
And so, yeah, building in that kind of regular audit of our own relationship, I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? No one really does no it. No one does it. It's, I've never heard it talked about. Been, I think everything, everyone is terrified of breaking it. If we talk about it, are we going to let the daylight in and is something going to be lost? But actually what you discover, I mean, it's far better that you know that your partner is not comfortable about something at the moment or they're worried about something or they're resentful of something far better that you know now and can try and do something about it than that you know five years down the line they say I'm off um because there was that time that you didn't do x or y um Mm. that they do in my view they do have a responsibility perhaps to say by the way I'm uncomfortable but you know but certainly if you make a if you create an activity and you do it every, as you say, if nobody nobody in the workplace, as you will know from running your own company, nobody would think that an annual appraisal is a mad thing because everybody else does it. It's only if you suddenly said we're going to have an appraisal, you know, every day that everyone would think, well, that's just too intense. That's just ridiculous. Um, so similarly, in a relationship, in a long term relationship or a marriage, Try not to just do it once every five years and then it becomes this really big deal because of something that happened last week. Just build it into your regular routine. Just have a have a catch up every six months or so. Yeah. Certainly every year. Why would you not? And make it clear that it's it's not a date night and it's not a diary coordination session it is very focused that that's the objective and that's what you're going to talk about. Yes, and you see, I think there need to be more conversations like that in general because what I do see a lot in my work is um, people coming to me week after week with this with the same ongoing complaint that, you know, I tried to talk to my partner but, you know, they never listen or whatever. And then you discover that they've tried to have the conversation as the other one is heading out the door to work (laughs) or as they're just pulling into the car parking space at the supermarket. That's never going to work. You've actually got to prioritise it in the same way as we all know that prioritising sex is so important in a relationship, Mm. unless the two of you no longer want it, which is absolutely fine. Um, But you do both have to be on the same page about that. In the same way as prioritising that is important, then prioritising communication is arguably even more important. Mm. Talk to me about the concept of splitting. This is something that I think comes from child psychology and how that perhaps relates to infidelity. Um, Splitting was a, a concept forward by Melanie Klein who was a child psychologist and what she observed in children who are very as you can imagine quite unsophisticated creatures when somebody is very bad they are bad and when they're good they're very good which is why their favorite toy is their favorite toy forever and ever but when it comes to mummy and daddy or mummy and mummy or daddy and daddy they find it children find it very hard to integrate the idea that the mummy or the daddy that stops them having ice cream for breakfast or the mummy and daddy that tells them off for, you know, hitting their baby brother or whatever is still the same mummy or daddy that kisses them goodnight and loves them Mm. forever. They can't assimilate that nuance. And what often happens in marriages in particular is this demonising of and or splitting of of the person so that they become all bad and you are all good. I'm the one having the affair because I'm so miserable and I'm having such a bad time and my partner is so awful. And it's very hard to recognise that actually, no, your your partner is a fully rounded human being in the same way as you are. 
uh, because then we'd have to acknowledge that they might be hurting and that they might be sad and that they might have needs that we're not meeting. Right. So it's a very sophisticated defense mechanism against that full level of intimacy that says, I need to show up for this person in the way that I want them to show up for me. And that therefore, when I'm, if I'm betraying them, I kind of need to put them in a box as all bad. Otherwise, I can't really deal with it. Mm. Gosh, there's so much to think about. I'm going to ask you one last question, Lucy. And that is, is it more courageous for someone to stay or to leave after an affair? It's always going to be courageous, whatever you choose. It, it takes courage to admit that you have been hurt, just as much as it takes courage to admit to yourself that you have hurt another person. And it might take courage to stay with someone who has betrayed you, knowing that they've betrayed you, in the same way as it also takes a lot of courage to leave someone who betrayed you. So I don't think either is more or less courageous than the other. All I would say is that every choice deserves not only compassion from other people, you would hope that other people would support you in what are you, whatever you chose to do, but you really, really need to give yourself compassion too for the choice that you end up making. And it goes back, it circles back to what we were talking about right at the beginning of the podcast, which is this idea of, of being selfish, self-ish, that if you're doing it for your values, then, then it's never going to be the, the wrong choice. Very positive. Thank you so much, Lucy, for your time. Learned so much. And I'm sure everybody listening will be hugely interested in continuing this conversation and following you on social media and all the rest of it. It's absolutely fascinating. Thank you. I'd love that. Thank you very much, Liz. Wow, that's all I can say. Plenty of notes to self there. And one of those I think that I really took away was how important those regular relationship audits are such a good idea. What do you think? Let me know. I'd love to hear. You can find me on social media at Lizelle Me and you can find my team at Lizelle Wellbeing. Do let's keep this conversation going. And of course, there's lots more on relationships, mental health awareness and so much else to dig into over on LizelleWellbeing.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter. It's filled with plenty of tips for living well and that's physically, mentally and emotionally. One next week a TV doctor whose interest in the history of medicine has prompted a little bit of a midlife career change. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.